Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies alongside the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who lived in the dark have seen a great light, and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in the shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? God of love and God of light, we give thanks for the Christ who is your light to the world. We give thanks for the spirit that saturates every inch of your good and beloved creation. And we pray that we will feel the presence of that spirit now as we hear your word to us. Amen. So we are in the season of Epiphany, as I said, and Epiphany is a season that celebrates the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. We look at what that that realization means in our lives today and in the lives of those who knew Jesus 2,000 years ago. So our texts tend to focus on those aha moments when folks realize that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. And we have one of those stories today, where Jesus walks up to a couple fishermen named Peter and Andrew and says, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. The men instantly drop their nets and follow Jesus. Right on the spot, they quit their jobs. They leave their family behind and follow. This is not normal. Uh, 
Most people don't change careers based on a good one-liner. It makes me sort of wonder what was, what was really going on. I mean, why would a couple of fishermen leave their job, leave their family because a stranger asked them to follow them? And none of us really know the answer to that question. We don't know what was going through the mind of the disciples, but I want to float a theory that sort of starts with what it means to be a rabbi. In Jewish villages in, the ancient, in ancient Israel, a rabbi was the leader of his community. Rabbis were the most respected, most honored, most celebrated men in town. Every parent would love to have their boy grow up to become a rabbi. But not every kid would have the opportunity. Training to be a rabbi was rigorous. Young boys would take lessons at the synagogue, and then they would spend hours memorizing the Torah. And most of the seven-year-olds I know can't memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So most kids eventually quit Torah study and started to learn the family trade. But there were those sort of like truly brilliant kids who just kept studying, devoting their life to the Hebrew scriptures and traditions. And and this path that they took, it was long and uncertain because a rabbi could only have so many disciples. A rabbi had to know that his disciples were smart enough and and hardworking enough to lead the community after they were gone. So this practically meant that students would spend years trying to prove that they were worthy of becoming a disciple, worthy of becoming a rabbi. And only the best of the best would hear a rabbi tell them, I want you to be my disciple. Come and follow me. And that's sort of the background. And in our scripture in particular, a famous rabbi is in town. The rabbi everybody would have been talking about. The rabbi who'd performed wonders in the temple as a kid. The rabbi that John the Baptist taught about. The rabbi named Jesus. This is actually how the Gospel of Mark introduces Jesus. In Mark, everyone calls Jesus rabbi. But in our text from Matthew, it's a little different. Everyone calls Jesus Lord. As if to say, wait a minute, Jesus might act like a rabbi, he might look like a rabbi, but he's way more important than an ordinary rabbi. Jesus is the Lord, and everyone knows it. So it would have been a really big deal when Jesus arrived in Galilee. The way Matthew tells it, there was a huge crowd that followed him everywhere. And it would have been quite a scene when Jesus walked up to Simon and Andrew, two fishermen, two nobodies, two guys who probably dropped out of Torah study, either because they weren't smart enough or or maybe just because they were too poor and had to help their father work. Whatever their particular situation was, they would have learned years ago that they weren't good enough to be the disciple of a rabbi. 
And Jesus walks up to them and says, come and follow me. Jesus doesn't ask about their training or their pedigree or if they're making the right sacrifices at the temple. Jesus tells them that they are good enough to be his disciples. He tells them that there's no difference between them and the best of the best. To Jesus, they, they are the best of the best. Despite everyone else's opinion, Jesus has faith in these fishermen. Faith that, I don't know, a couple of nobodies could tell the world how much God loves them. Faith that they could preach and teach and heal. Faith that these guys would lead his spiritual community when he's gone. Faith that they could be his disciples. So, knowing that, like, yeah, of course Peter and Andrew drop everything and follow Jesus. And their shoes who wouldn't. But the fact that Jesus was so celebrated begs another question. Like, why did Jesus choose a couple fishermen to be his disciples? He presumably could have picked anyone in that big crowd following him around. So why did he pick these two? It's really hard to know based on the Gospels. We don't really have information on why Jesus chose the particular people to be his disciples. Jesus has an inner circle of 12 people, 12 disciples, who seem to have nothing in common. It's not like this group of besties just happened to live in the same apartment building in the West Village and loved hanging out in the same coffee shop. They come from totally different backgrounds. They, they seem to have nothing in common. I just want to sort of like run through who the disciples were before they became disciples. There were either four or five fishermen, a couple of zealots, a noble elite, one or two tax collectors, and then others we don't know anything about. To put that in a contemporary American context, that would be maybe like a uh, uh, you know, number of guys doing manual labor, a couple of corrupt government contractors who got rich by using tax breaks to evict poor old ladies, a few radical protesters that were always getting arrested for chaining themselves to government buildings, and then just the cherry on top is Bartholomew, a guy who graduated from Yale and is now living off a trust fund. This is such an unlikely group of disciples. They have so little in common that what they do share stands out. And as I looked at this, I kind of saw really only two things. The first, is that no one would have trusted them to preach and teach and heal and carry on the mission of the faith community. And the second thing that they shared was an inherent distrust of one another. Like rich guys and revolutionaries, manual laborers and cultural elites, 
This right here is a group of natural enemies. And it makes me wonder if Jesus chose this group to proclaim the gospel and Jesus chose this group as a proclamation of the gospel. Jesus taught that, that God is with all people. He called people to repent, to change their hearts and their minds. Jesus tore down walls between Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. He challenged ideas of, of what it meant to be clean and worthy. He confronted structures that divided the poor and the rich. His life, his death, his resurrection, his gospel reconciled us with God and with one another. So, when it came to picking disciples, Jesus picked a group of natural enemies. A group that should have been at one another's throat and sometimes were. Jesus chose a group that needed to undergo grace and healing and transformation together. Jesus chose a group of natural enemies to not only proclaim the gospel, but to be the gospel. He chose them to lead the church and to be the church. My, my friend Chris says that when the church is at its best, the church is the place where natural enemies gather as one. And as a pastor, I hate this idea. You know how hard it'd be to be a pastor of a church full of people that hate one another? But I'm, I'm mainly kidding, because I know what he means. He isn't saying that we want churches full of people who don't like one another. He, he's saying that for natural enemies to come together, there has to be mission and there has to be community. Like, without shared mission, without purpose, there'd be nothing to bring us together. If people are naturally opposed, there has to be something bigger, stretching them beyond their identities and their previously held beliefs. So when enemies come together, they're, they're saying that there's something more important than the fact that they don't like each other. Call it mission. And, and if that mission or that purpose draws us together, we then need to, to be transformed in a community for that to be sustainable as we like, seek to live out that mission together. And I think when we see that happening, when... A, a spiritual community is composed of people that shouldn't like each other. It means that they've both united around a shared mission and they've created a community that's worth preserving. And that's the church at its best. It's also this group of disciples. Simon and Andrew and James and John and, and all the rest they're drawn together by saying yes to follow Jesus. They say, yes, I want to fish for people. I want to make disciples. I want to carry your gospel out into the world. They have this clear purpose that's more important than the reality that, that they shouldn't get along with one another. But then something else sort of interesting happens. 
the, the story of the disciples sets up as if they're going to be trained and equipped to spread the good news. I mean, they, they are. They say, yes, they want to fish for people. They want to proclaim the gospel. And, and then, actually, in Matthew, there's a whole chapter, Matthew 10, where the disciples, it, it named, that's where you get the list of all 12 disciples, and there are also, Jesus teaches them about how to, you know, go out and spread the good news. They are set out to heal and pray and proclaim they're commissioned. But then we never get stories in the Gospels about the disciples actually going out two by two to proclaim the Gospel. Instead, we get stories of the disciples learning and arguing and hoping and questioning and following. We get all these stories of their everyday life together. We get stories of their relationships with one another, of their transformation to become one. And I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think Matthew forgot to like, mention the part where they share the gospel. I, I believe their transformation was the gospel. I believe the reason Jesus picks this incredibly disparate group of disciples is to teach us who he is and how he intends to save the world by inviting us into community that transforms us, by inviting us into relationships that change us. Following Jesus is less about what we say or what we believe and more about how we're transformed together. We, we share the gospel by undergoing the gospel. The medium is the message. But the disciples don't know that up front. At first, they, they say yes to change their hearts and to change their minds and follow this rabbi. But then as the story progresses, they learn that Following him means saying yes to much more. Saying yes to their other natural enemies, the Samaritans. Saying yes to eating on the Sabbath. They say yes to keep following when a lot of other disciples desert Jesus. Even though this group of disciples abandon and deny Jesus, they still ultimately say yes. They say yes to being transformed as individuals and as a community. And that's what discipleship is. I think that's what this test acts, test acts of us as individuals and also as a community. Being a disciple means saying yes. And not just saying yes at one point in our lives. Discipleship is saying yes over and over again. Yes to being shaped by thousands of years of spiritual tradition and spiritual wisdom that's passed down to us. Yes to being transformed by sharing the pain and the joy of those who we shouldn't get along with. Yes to sharing the good news and allowing our lives to become the good news.
saying yes and yes and yes again. Because Jesus calls us to share the gospel by becoming the gospel. Thanks be to God.